Hey, good morning. Wow, look at you. We're kind of like in the dog days of summer. You get kind of like into the middle of August and realize you had plans, places you were going to go, things you wanted to get to, and, and you could be doing that, and you're here. So way to go. Welcome to Journey. Great to see you. Hope you've been having a terrific weekend. I know one person that's having a good weekend. I, I, I met a, a small boy out in the hallway just before we came in here, and he had a Kleenex up to his mouth, and he took it away, and he showed a big gap, and he says, I just lost a tooth. Then he said, I'm going to get money tonight. <laughs> so, so we got at least one of us that's, uh, they just think, how was church? Great. So I didn't have to give money. They gave me money. So anyway, good to see you. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, heaven a little bit today. For me, it's kind of a topic that's rising out of uh, two events. The first is I've been back to North Dakota about four times in the last month. And uh, my dad, 85 years old, he's lived on the same 11 acres for 85 years. It's the homestead his father homesteaded when he came from Indiana. My dad was born in the house that stands about 90 feet from the house he lives in. So for 85 years, he's never lived in another place. And uh, this month, we're in the process of him moving into a nursing home. And you know, that's not a... I mean, 85 years is a pretty good run. But still, in the midst of that, there's a little sense of loss, and the pages of the chapter are turning, and you can hear the bells tolling. And you start thinking about, uh, not that it's not always there, but you start thinking about heaven. Do I actually believe in it? Do I believe in it just as much? Am I just as convinced it is as real as the Buick I drove in when I came here this morning? Another thing was uh, a couple weeks ago I spoke at a conference over in Minnesota, and uh, along with some evening sessions, they asked me to talk to some of the uh, high school young people in the morning. And so I gathered them together and I said, listen, instead of me talking about something that I want to talk about, how about we talk about things you want to talk about? So I said, imagine in this little chapel that you knew God was going to be in here and nobody else was going to be here and you were going to come in and sit down and if you knew he would answer your question, what would you ask him? That we'll just take a little time, you write it out, and at the end of every day, I'm just going to pull three of your questions out, I'm going to work on them that night, and we're going to answer your questions that you'd ask God. Interestingly enough, the most common questions had to do with life purpose. What am I going to do with my life? But the second most common question had to do with heaven and eternity. I brought along three, they're just simple. Will I go to heaven? If today was the day I die, would I go to heaven? Will my family and pet get into heaven? You know, really, on this one, I'm not saying it's some scripture. I'm just saying I think if you're dog lovers, you're probably all right. <laughs> you know. If you're into cats, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying not from the Lord, 
but uh, <laughs> so, so here's our big idea trying to see the complete picture of life by the way we're going to just stop in the middle of the big idea you know we got up in the crow's nest there there's like some tech guys and they run this stuff and uh, I want you to like especially when I'm speaking be sure you catch him on the way out and thank him because like if Brian were here he's got a 12 page manuscript and these guys will come up ahead of time and say now do you got some order and you know Brian's got this 12 page manuscript and it shows everywhere every slide's going to go like I have a napkin (laughs) and they'll say well like do you have an outline and I say well I hope so and so they, they always, like, when I'm, when I'm doing this, like, they are really close to God because they're just, like, praying. So, hey, they do a great job, and, and we often don't see them, so you let them know you appreciate what they're doing. So anyway, the big idea. Yeah, yeah, that's right. See you, fellas. Trying to see the complete picture of life and giving it meaning without including heaven in it is like taking a piece out of a puzzle or a color out of a rainbow or blue from the palette of Monet. It's like if I look at life and I use a window that is from my birth to my death and I try to make sense of life with a window that size, at least for me, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make any sense. Unless I widen that window to include heaven, this window of birth till death leaves a lot of unanswered questions. You may remember the movie Grand Canyon where Steve Martin is kind of a yuppie urban guy and he gets lost and he's in a bad neighborhood and his car stops and some thugs are going to rob him and Danny Glover shows up uses a tire iron and chases the guys away and then he turns to Steve Martin and he says this is not the way it was meant to be this is not the way it was meant to be And in the way it is right now, there's stuff goes on that I... People will say, well, we got a great God and He has meaning in everything. You know, there's some levels of suffering. I don't care if God has a meaning. That's not much comfort. Has God got some great plan, some great design? Well, fine, I'm, I'm glad for God. It doesn't make my life right here, right now, in the midst of some excruciating pain any less excruciating. Maybe somewhere down the road at some distance from that pain I can take some comfort in it but it's not going to change today. And you and I, there's at least uh, three kinds of pain and suffering we endure. One is I just call structural pain. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust and bad stuff happens to good people. So what what my dad's going through, like my mom and dad are always apologizing to my brother and I for the nuisance they're becoming right now. And I say, well, don't worry, we're going to pass it on to our children. 
Because for most of us here, that's going to be our story. Oh, some of us will die younger. Some of us will just keel over off a heart attack. But for the bulk of us, there's going to be an unwinding of our energies and our strengths and our faculties until someone else has to take care of us. And that's just the way it's going to be. Because death has come into the world. People get sick. Bad stuff happens. That's structural suffering. There's another kind of suffering. I call it uh, specific suffering. You may know some people, because I do, I know some people who just kind of wander through life and, and not much, not much bad really happens to them. And I, I'm happy for them. Yeah, I think, uh, that's, that's just, I know a guy out in Minnesota, Billy Bransner. He just like, he goes into the electrical business at the right time. He sells his dairy cattle at the right time. He moves at the right time. Everything just seems to be at the right time. Now, for some of us, like, I've lived here two years. I've had eight flat tires. <laughs> Funny to you. <laughs> I always get my tires fixed over Tirerama. I told the guy last time I was in, now I'll be expecting a Christmas invitation. <laughs> yeah, he says, we see you quite a bit. He says, but you know, there's lots of construction and stuff going on. I thought, well, okay. He said, uh, how, many, how many flat tires have you had? He said, how long have you lived here? He said, six years. I said, how many flat tires have you had? He said, one. He said, well, there you are. <laughs> it just happens. When my brother and his wife had their, their youngest son, he was born with a heart defect. Up in Kalispell, Montana, they threw him on a plane, raced him to the children's hospital in Seattle. My brother asked the doctor, what are his chances? The doctor says, we don't know because usually babies with this condition never get to us. They die before they arrive. Now he's about 19, 20 years old now. Two or three heart surgeries, but perking along. But while they were there, their son, Ethan, was in a large room with other small children. And they got a little acquainted with a young couple that on the other side of the curtain had a baby. One day they came in to see Ethan, and they noticed that couple wasn't there, and they peeked around the curtain. There in that little crib was... The baby's still there with the blanket pulled up over his head. Now, you know what we say about Ethan? We say, boy, God was just so good. He just answered people's prayers and came to their aid, and Ethan's a believer in Christ, and he's doing good. And I think that's right. The Bible says every good gift comes from God. But, like, didn't God care about the couple next to him? Didn't their baby matter? Was their suffering inconsequential? Wasn't enough people praying? What's that all about? Specific suffering. Where some people just suffer so much more than other people. 
And if I can't widen the gap of the window, I look out to make sense of my world, to include heaven. I, I, don't, I can't quite make sense of that. And on top, top of structural suffering and specific suffering, there's what I call catastrophic suffering. That's suffering at a level that where the numbers and the type of suffering is so great, we can't even get our heads around it. I sat in a room with the Archbishop Kulaini, the Anglican Archbishop from Rwanda. You may remember a little over a decade ago in Rwanda, a little country in Africa of 12 million people. That's all I got, 12 million people. That in one four-month period, one million people were killed in four months. In that country, there is literally no one who was either not killed, didn't kill someone, or didn't know someone who was killed. And you know, when someone comes to me and tells me God's good, I live in a kind of an orderly world. I live in America, and there's lots of good things about America. And in America, if you work hard and you try to play by the rules, you usually can get ahead and good things will happen. But I'm not so sure it's that easy to believe in a benevolent, loving God when there is indiscriminate, senseless, meaning death all around you at a level you cannot explain. And if I were in that environment, would I find it that easy to believe in this benevolent, kind Gracious God. And so, if it's just birth to death, and I got to somehow make sense of it, it's a pretty tall order. If I don't get to enlarge the window to include heaven, some of it doesn't make much sense. But I believe there is a heaven. Over in the book of Revelation, there's some scripture we're going to read. Revelation chapter 21. This is what the Lord revealed to the Apostle John. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my child. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. C.S. Lewis said, one of the greatest evidences for the reality of heaven is the longing in our heart that there must be something better. The greatest evidence for heaven is the longing in our heart that there must be something better. I haven't had many perfect days in my life. I think about three. But I know what they were. One of them was when we dropped our son off at George Fox University in Portland, Oregon, and we decided we didn't want to head right back home, and so we just picked a spot on the map out on the Oregon coast, because we had never really been there, and I put my finger on Cannon Beach. Now, Cannon Beach is an absolutely lovely, quaint little uh, ocean village. It sits right on the shore of Haystack Rock, which is the second most photographed site in the entire Pacific coast of the United States. We had gotten a hotel at a a room at a hotel that looked out over the ocean. And you know, Oregon, Oregon ocean days can be pretty iffy. You can get rain and sun and you never know what you're going to get. But I tell you, we woke up the next day and it was spectacular. And I had decided that day that sometime during the day I was going to passionately kiss my wife in public. So I was a little on edge. <laughs> and you know, it was, it was from morning to, it was a perfect day. The weather was perfect. We got up and lounged around. We went out and, and it was just, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. There wasn't anything but a light breeze. The hotel had these little kind of half tents where you could sit under some shade and look out in the ocean and we sat there and we read and we went to this little restaurant that looked out over Haystack Rock and we had lunch and just the whole day. And then as the sun began to set, it was like magical. It was like the sun was just massive and red as half of it disappeared over the horizon of the ocean and the entire ocean looked like it was sparkling with diamonds. And we were walking along the coast. And I turned to her, people around, and just took her in my arms and kissed her. And... Wow. <laughs> but in that perfect day, it only caused me to be reminded of the longing that we all carry that this is the way it was meant to be. 
Now, I love the band. I love uh, Steve. Great job he did today. And I love Brandon when they come. And I like this kind of music. And I'd come just to hear Rod play his guitar. And uh, I, I think it's great. But I grew up with Southern gospel music. My mom played five instruments and sang a lot in church. And uh, when I was in college, we used to go to the Southern Gospel Sings in Minneapolis with the Blackwood Brothers Quartet and the Statesman Quartet. And uh, so they started making these homecoming videos, which were, which were videos of the old Southern Gospel singers that would gather around and sing Southern Gospel music. One time when they gathered, the theme was heaven. And they had a guest there that day. It was Buddy Green. Buddy Green's mostly a harmonica player. But he sang a song called, I Don't Belong. And I'd like... It's not home Where men sell their souls And the taste a power is sweet Where wrong is right And neighbors fight While the hungry are dying in the street Where kids are abused And women are used And the weak are crushed by the strong Nations gone mad Jesus is sad And I don't belong I don't belong And I'm going someday Home to my own native land I don't belong And it seems like I hear The sound of a welcome home band I'm a foreigner here Just singing a sojourner's song I've always known This place ain't home And I don't belong Don't belong But while I'm here I'll be living like I've nothing to lose and while I breathe, I'll just believe My Lord is going to see me through I'll not be deceived by earth's make-believe No, I'll close my ears to her siren song By praising His name And I am not ashamed Cause I don't belong I don't belong And I'm going someday Home to my own native land I don't belong And it seems like I hear The sound of a welcome home band I don't belong Well I'm a fall just singing a sojourner's song I've always known This place ain't home And I don't belong I 
that I belong to a kingdom of peace where only love is the law where children lead and captives are free and God becomes a baby on the strong where dead men live and rich men give their kingdoms to buy back a song where sinners like me become royalty and will all belong yes I belong and I'm going someday home to my own It seems like I hear the sound of a welcome home band. Yes, I belong. I'm no foreigner there, singing a sojourner's song. I've always known I'm going home where I belong. I've always known this place ain't home and I don't belong took my son to Call Auditorium on Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Chanticleer was singing. It's 20 men from San Francisco to sing a cappella. It was a secular concert, but he and I had been discussing the thing about longing, of a yearning for something better, a knowing that we were made for a home that we had never yet seen. Chanticleer does stuff vocally that just, uh, it's, it almost seems inhuman. It's so unusual and gifted. But in the middle of that concert, in Call Auditorium, back to back, they sang Shenandoah and Danny Boy. And there was a hush just like there is now where a pin could have dropped and you could have heard it. And I leaned over to Nolan, my son, and I said, this is what Lewis was talking about. Sometimes a song or an event or a circumstance or a person will cause to rise up from within us that longing we usually carry somewhere deep. And we are reminded again that we were made for something better than this. Now there's three kinds of longing among the many. We're going to run through these really quick. But I want you to see how this applies to your life and to mine. One is a longing for justice. Things to be put right. You know, I think there are some people who don't come to Christ 
because they believe that the view of forgiveness within the Christian message means that they have to take a searing, abusive experience of their life and just treat it like it doesn't matter. They've just got to forgive. They've just got to wipe it off the chart. And that not only are they expected to treat, treat it like it doesn't matter, that God's going to treat it that way too. And there must be in this room with this many of us, some of us, who have had life experiences so damaging, so traumatic, so searing, we can't come to a God who's just going to say, well, it didn't really matter that much. And if heaven and longing mean anything, it means that God is saying to us, when this last chapter is written, I will put everything right. Now, I've been working with people for about 40 years. And as far as I can tell in my own life experience with people, there are two searing pains that are greater than anything I've ever seen. The one are parents who have to bury a child. And the other is a woman who wants children and can't have them. I've never seen suffering that may be there. Maybe it has been for you, but I've never seen suffering beyond that. And I've wondered about infertility. I've trafficked enough to see women who, gosh, I mean, the home they are bringing children into, no child should live in, and yet they can have a baby at the drop of a hat. It's as easy for them to have children as it is for me to buy a can of beans at Rosar's. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And I know women who are noble, righteous, and gracious. And they have lived year after year with a heartbreak of not understanding why they can't have children. And if there is not heaven and justice, then the window is too small for me to make any sense of that. But Jesus says the day will come when the lion will lay down with the lamb and when he will make all things right. And Hebrews tells us, God says to us, using the message translation, listen, nobody's going to get by with anything. <laughs> I like that phrase. And even this scripture we read about the promises of heaven, the tears being wiped away, that doesn't happen until after the judgment of Christ. If you've had some searing pain in your life, God is not asking you to treat it like it didn't happen or it didn't matter. He is asking for you to trust Him and transfer the responsibility for justice to Him. Because you know, 
he has a unique ability to bring justice in a way that doesn't damage us. If I've had some pain in my life and I go out trying to get justice, often I may get justice, but it may do as much damage to me as it does to the other person. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story about Moses. Moses headed off into the far country. He lived in the wilderness, out in the desert, raised some sheep, and God shows up one day and says, Now, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and bring the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses said, Not a good idea. God persisted, and so Moses gave in. He goes back to Egypt. And I tell you, it was hell on earth for Moses. I mean, it was one reverse after another. Pharaoh didn't like the idea. Greatest military power of that day. Sent his armies after him and had to be one miracle after another just to stay alive. Going to take a million people out into a desert where there's no water. And you know what's worse? They weren't very grateful. It wasn't like they were thanking Moses every day. Oh, I'm sure glad you brought us out here. One day they said, Moses, we would rather go back to Egypt and the leeks and onions of Egypt. Talk about a balanced diet. The leeks and onions of Egypt instead of being out here with you. Well, one day they were out of water. Moses goes to God and God says, strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock and water poured out of the rock. You'd think they'd be grateful for that. But you know, it wasn't only a few more weeks and they were out of water again and they were grumbling again. Now, have you ever had a I've had it up to here day? Moses was having an I've had it up to here day. And God says, all right, they're out of water. You go speak to the rock. But Moses wasn't having a speak to the rock day. He was having, I'm going to strike that rock all right. I'm going to pretend it's somebody else when I hit it too. And so he struck the rock, and God in his mercy, water flowed out. But then God said to Moses, all right, Moses, you didn't do what I asked you to do. You're not going to go into the promised land. I mean, really? Who wants to serve a God like that? Talk about temperamental. Moses didn't want to do it in the first place. He goes off and he has to start doing something he doesn't want to do. He has one reverse after another. And because he has one, I've had it up to here today. God says, that's it. You're not going in. The scripture tells us that Moses stood on the mount when he got the children of Israel to Canaan. And from the mount, he could look across the river and see the promised land. And he died on this side of the promised land and Joshua took them over. But you know, in God's unique way, you slip into the New Testament and Jesus is hanging out with some of the disciples and he takes them up onto a mount and they call it the Mount of Transfiguration and there Jesus is transfigured and two other people show up, Moses and Elijah. Peter was so impressed that he wanted to build tents there and just stay there. It was so magical a moment. But you know, Moses was there. And you know where that Mount of Transfiguration is? It's in the Promised Land. See, God has a way of fulfilling justice, weaving mercy through it, so the right thing gets done, and yet we don't get hurt. And that longing for justice is part of the picture of heaven that God gives us. There's a second longing, and that's the longing for perfect expression or a world in harmony. 
You and I have dreams. We aspire, and then stuff gets in the road, and sometimes your life and mine may feel like we're just getting all the pool balls together, racked up again, and then somebody takes the cue ball and whacks it with a, with a stick, and now we're scattered all over the place again. And we sometimes feel like we're tracking through life just trying to gather all the pool balls up all the time, trying to bring our energy together to accomplish something, and, and we, we have to put it off and put it off. And then when we try to do it, it's not as perfect an expression as we wanted. But catch this. The Bible says that in heaven we will reign with Christ. Heaven is not a passive environment. We will reign with him. Nations and kings will come in and out. And in that place, the yearning, the longing, the giftedness, the DNA God designed you with will have its perfect expression. My mom sang a lot in her younger years. This is a song she sang. I always liked the words of it. It's really short. The words were written by Annie Johnson Flint. You may have heard it. It's called God Hath Not Promised. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, Rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above. Unfailing sympathy and undying love. That's sweet, isn't it? But remember, this was written by Annie Johnson Flint. When Annie was nine years old, she started to write poetry. She found out she had a gift with words and rhyme. By the age of 12, she was putting her own poetry to her own music and was already becoming an accomplished musician on the piano so that one of her aspirations was to become a concert pianist. But by the age of 14, she began to have trouble walking. Writing became more difficult. Finally, her parents took her to the doctor and she discovered that she had a rare form of arthritis and by the end of her teen years she was virtually an invalid in an institution unable to walk and when she wrote this poem she wrote it on a bed with a uh, with a board hanging above her and her gnarled fingers around a pencil and she would scribble out this poetry knowing that she would never walk again certainly never play the piano and barely able to write Heaven will be the perfect expression of the gifts we could never perfectly express here on earth. And there's one last one. Heaven is the fulfillment of our longing for joy. A world where trust is never betrayed. 
one of the movies I always liked was Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall. In that movie, Robert Duvall is a, uh, plays a kind of a washed-up country western singer and songwriter. He wakes up from a drunken stupor out in uh, some little hotel out in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't have any money. A young woman who's a widow is running the little hotel, and he offers to work off his hotel room. He works it off, starts a relationship with her, starts to get his life cleaned up and put back together. His daughter finds out where he is and comes to visit. She's an adult now, but she's running with the wrong crowd. He's glad to see her, gives her a little money. But only a few days later, the word comes to him that she's been killed in a car accident. And he's out hoeing in the garden when the young woman that runs the hotel comes out to see him. And he stands up and he says to her, I learned long ago never to trust happiness. And you and I, no matter how good a day gets, we instinctively know not to trust happiness too much because of what's around the corner. But in heaven, not only is there the perfect expression of our giftedness, the fulfillment of our longing for justice, but the fulfillment of our longing for joy. So is heaven in your picture? You face searing pain in your life. Undeserved suffering. You've been sinned against. Maybe even you've personally had a great failure and you have lived for years with a staggering regret over a decision you've made, yearning and hoping that you could have had a second chance. You would have done it so differently. The Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel. Because he once said, I am the chiefest of sinners and the least of all saints. Now you and I might think he wrote half the New Testament. He was just being, he was being foolishly modest. But then he tells us why he feels that way. He said, because I persecuted the church. You know what he was saying? He was saying, there are people who are dead because of me. There are families who I tore apart, parents and children who will never be back together because of me. There are things in my life I wish I could undo, and I cannot, and others suffer for it. And so for all Jesus has done for me, the Apostle Paul says, I realize that I live with an awareness of wrongs that can never be made right this side of heaven. So the Lord invites you and he invites me today to make my window and to make your window bigger and to remind us that there is a new heaven and a new earth as real as the chairs you're sitting on. And in that place, all things will be made right. Would you put your things aside as we finish this morning? Boy, you've been so attentive. I appreciate that.
There may be some of us here this morning. This is a tremendous opportunity for any of us to just say, with some of these young people who wrote these little cards, say, you know, I came in this door not quite sure, but I want to step across the line and I want to know when I leave that I have an address in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me? Nobody looking around. And you can do that today. If you're not sure that you have a street number in heaven, you can just simply, where you're seating, transact that with God and say, Lord, I don't know how it is in my heart. And I want to leave sure. So Jesus, would you come into my heart this morning? Would you affirm to my spirit that I have an address in heaven? Would you forgive me? Would you give me eternal life? Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer. Right where you're seating, we're just going to wait for a moment. You can pray that prayer, put it in your own words, and invite Jesus into your heart and ask him to give you an address in heaven. Would you do that while we wait a moment? praying that prayer we're not going to embarrass you nobody's looking around but if you're praying and asking Jesus into your heart and asking God to give you the assurance of heaven he's doing it right now because he said if you ask he'll do it if you're praying that would you just slip your hand up and say I'm asking Jesus to give me heaven today you just raise your hand and put it down there's nobody looking around yes over here on my right two three bet here in the center near the back yeah, over here on my left. Anyone else? Way in the back here, yeah. Then could I ask you, if you've lived with some pain in your life and you just want to roll it over to Jesus today, say, Lord, will you take this? I'm going to trust you to make all things right. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to call it by name, and I'm going to give it to you. You can do that today. And if you'd like to do that, and you're transacting that right now, and you're just saying, Lord, I'm going to trust heaven. Would you slip your hand up and say, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm giving you this, yeah, over here in my right, down all through the center, and on the left here, yeah, up here in the front, you bet. The Lord wants to rush grace here over in the right, rush grace to you to give you both a hope and a release in this arena of your life. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us today. Lord, I thank you for these people who have been so attentive to what you wanted to talk to us about. 
for these who slip their hands up both to step across the threshold and know that heaven is their home and for many of us who've been carrying weight and we want to be able to roll it off and know that it's going to be all right and know that you're going to treat it with the weight and the care that it deserves. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray you'll rush grace to us, your strength to accomplish your purpose. Give us courage to take the next step and affirm what we've done today. In Jesus' name.